0: Well, I I like the way that Stu presented our bonding time on Wednesday. Um, It was awesome. Amen. We do bond differently in a different way than ladies. Um, Although, we probably need to have some kind of food too. Coffee and maybe some Timbits or something. Um. Don't forget Life Groups on Tuesday. Summit on Friday, all the announcements are there in the bulletin. Awesome. Well, we're in Romans still, chapter 13 now. Uh, first part of chapter 13, the first seven verses, I just put a little bit of an outline in the bulletin for you. We're not going to cover that part, um, but we'll start at verse 8. First part is all about you know, how we need to deal with uh, government, Um, We don't always agree with who gets voted or who gets elected, um, but um, we still have a responsibility um, to uh, deal with that and understand that God is ultimately in charge. Actually, before um, before I get into Romans, prior to the service, now I don't want to embarrass you, Reuben, at all. But I met this young man in the foyer, been attending now for the last couple of weeks, Reuben, He's moving to Nelson, B.C. tonight. Gave his heart to the Lord in Montreal about a year ago, and I've been here now, this is third Sunday, and uh, I just want us to pray for him as he journeys off to, how many know where Nelson, B.C. is? Hey, I was raised in Castlegar, not far from there, so I know it well. Our youth group from Castligar used to go to Nelson quite a few times because um, and to Grand Forks because the youth group in Castligar was all guys and there was girls in Nelson and Grand Forks. So we used to get together. Those were days when youth groups got together and rallies and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, Father, I just thank you for Reuben. I thank you for the new life in Christ that he's experiencing. I thank you for his desire to want to worship with your people and to serve you. And I just pray that as he moves to Nelson and looks for a job, that God, not only will you give him a job, but you'll give him a circle of friends who love Jesus, that they might grow together. So, Lord, we just bless him. We thank you for him. And we just pray, Lord, you'll go before him. You'll watch over and protect him. And may his growth in you continue in an expedited fashion as you have your hand upon his life. We bless him in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, thanks for chatting with me before the service, Reuben, and I, I didn't want to embarrass you at all, but I wanted you to know that we're praying for you, and we will be praying that God just uh, uh, touches you and uses you in a marvelous, marvelous way. Romans chapter 13, and um, uh, we're going to, I think the verses are on the screen, let's start with verse 8. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Here we find in Romans chapter thirteen um, some amazing instruction, which kind of goes along with uh, some of the prayer that we heard from uh, Brother Stu this morning. But Romans chapter thirteen is a is a tremendously practical passage of scripture and. And so I want to call today's message, How to Live the Rest of Your Life. How to Live the Rest of Your Life. How many believe that Jesus Christ is coming soon, both hands in the air? Amen, he's coming soon. In fact, sooner today than yesterday, that's for sure. But um, we can see the signs. And, and so I want to talk. what are you going to do with the rest of your life? You know, the average North American will spend their life this way. If you live to be 70, you'll spend 23 years sleeping. 17 years working, 11 years playing, 6 years traveling, 6 years eating, 2 years dressing, 1 year in church. That's your life if you're an average North American. In this section of Romans we're going to deal with today, Paul deals with how to make the rest of your life the best of your life. What do you do with your life in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is going to come back one day? And it could be any minute. None of us are guaranteed next month, much less next year. And he talks about how to live in the light of the second coming. And he prescribes some practical actions on how to make the most of the time God has given you. And you'll find the outline there in your bulletin. Verse 8, he says, let no debt remain outstanding. In other words, pay up. Hey, Paul is saying, don't become overextended in debt. Don't assume more debt than you can handle. If there's a practical message the Apostle Paul wants to give, that's it. The influence of society is to go out and buy a house bigger than you can afford, and then work all your life trying to make the house payments. The NIV translation actually is quite accurate. When it says, the King James says, owe no man anything. And some people have used this verse to say you should never ever borrow. They've made an entire doctrine from this one verse. You should not owe any anyone anything. You should not have credit cards. You should not take out a, a loan for your house or your car, etc. Now there are some interesting financial principles that we should adhere to. And uh, regarding credit cards and and borrowing and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that you are aware of them. But... It may be a great conviction to have owe no man anything as a blanket statement, but the Greek says, stop continuing to owe. And it means don't borrow and then not pay it back. Psalm 37, 21 is a good commentary in this verse. The Bible does not teach not borrowing. It says, the wicked borrow and do not pay back, but the righteous give generously. Romans 13 says, Don't leave any debt outstanding. Don't default on them. Pay your debts when they're due. He's not saying you can't have contracts to borrow, but if you do borrow, pay it back. Bad credit is a poor testimony. Don't let any debt remain outstanding. And I don't know what your definition of debt is. Is the mortgage on your house a debt? Or is it just a standard of living? I don't know how anybody's going to buy a house nowadays without some kind of a mortgage, right? Uh, especially after January one, when the mortgage rates, uh, mortgage rules change, and um, you know your s- stress test has to be higher for interest rate. I mean, I guess you could rent the rest of your life, um, but then you know, do you want to pay somebody else's mortgage and have no equity, or do you want to have some equity and all those kind of financial things that I'm sure you're well aware of? But when he says, oh, no man anything and don't don't overextend yourself," I mean. I, we should have on the screen, if we could, we wouldn't do that. But if we had on the screen, everybody's personal debt. How much you have on credit cards, and how much, how far behind you are, and da 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 And now I know, I, I know what you're thinking, you're saying, but pastor, I wouldn't be able to live without my credit card. Um, it's interesting on credit card, we've all seen it, right, on the credit card statement, if you pay the minimum amount, you'll be paying this like for 75 years, or whatever they say on there. It's kind of depressing, right? And uh, But I also believe that we can pray and ask God to help us uh, with those kinds of things. But he says, pay up, stop continuing to owe, don't borrow, and then not pay it back. Now, you're not in that category, right? Some of you uh, may have the conviction to only pay in cash. I commend you for that. Um, it's interesting how our world is going that less and less cash is exchanging hands It's more, you know, e-transfers and not even that many checks anymore. Um, It's just interesting the way the whole system is going. Um, And the simplest and safest uh, is go with cash. Um, But you can't use this verse as a proof text. And please don't sit in judgment of Christians who do borrow. That's not what the verse is teaching. There are people teaching saying you should never borrow for anything. Matthew 5:42 says, "Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow." If it's wrong to borrow, then it's obviously wrong to loan. Why would Jesus say it's okay for you to loan some money to somebody who asks to borrow it, then later say it's wrong to borrow? And so, I mean, we got to take this whole thing together. The Bible calls this usury. Um, high interest, a matter of rationality and culture. In the Old Testament times, they found guys charging 30, 40, 50% interest. That's bad. I remember in the early 80s when we built the church in Okanagan when the interest rate was like 21 and 22%. How many remember those days? Those were tough, tough days. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, difficult on, on so many people. It's not unspiritual to use a business plan to raise money for the church. It's good stewardship. Jesus told four parables on that very principle. He said, it's wise to make money work for you. It's foolish if you don't make money work for you. Most of us work for our money, but God says, make your money work for you. And that's what investment is all about. Jesus commended investment. Now, the best place to invest it is in the kingdom. Invest it in somebody's soul, somebody's eternity, and uh, you know something that people cannot take away. Why would he commend making interest if it was wrong to pay interest? There's a lot of questions, and I'm not necessarily going to give you the answers. I'm just asking you some questions. I think God wants his money in circulation. If banks weren't in the business of lending money, it would mean literally billions of dollars would be sitting idle, giving no benefit to anybody. Now, I'm not saying I agree with the way banks do it, but money in circulation is benefit to lots of people. It provides jobs, income services for people and so I'm not the financial investment guru don't come to me asking where you should invest it whatever uh, I wouldn't be the guy to talk to uh, but there is some wisdom in making it work for you Jesus when he gave talents and things to these people someone out and doubled it and one guy buried it and it seemed that Jesus wasn't too happy about that the guy who just buried it and and left it there and um, So why does Paul begin with finances when he talks about making the most of your time? He says in in 11 verse, verse, Do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Make the most of your time. Wake up. Wake up. And uh, so, um, you know, pay up. He starts by talking about finances because if you're overextended in debt, time is working against you and not for you. You're getting further and further in trouble. And if you're investing money, time is working on your behalf. Another issue is, if you're overextended in debt, then we all tend to think of our debts when we're overextended. Our mind is just there. That's all we think about. You're not going to be worth much to the Lord because all you're thinking about is how to pay the bills. If you're going to make the most of your time, The rest of your life, don't get overextended in debt. Let no debt remain outstanding. Secondly, he says, when he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law, the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And what other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Pay up, and secondly, he says, build up. Don't let any debt remain outstanding. He says, build up. Love everybody. The second thing we ought to do if you want to make the best of the rest of our life, if you want to make the most of your time, love everybody. It's easy to love people who are just like you. Right? Easy. It's easy to love lovely people. But notice he says, don't be in debt to anybody except the continuing debt to love one another. And in the Greek, there are two different words for another. One means another of the same kind. Another means another of a different kind. The second word is the word he's using here. He's saying, be sure and love people of a different kind. Now, we all love to gravitate to the ones that are kind of like us and kind of in our similar status or, you know, our closest friends. And and that's all great. But he also says, love people of a different kind. Different than you are. Different than I am. It's, It's easy to love people of your own kind. But we're to love people of different temperaments, different backgrounds, different colors, different beliefs, different faiths. The Bible says, I'm to love... Everybody you believe that two people it 's okay when you're asked a question in church to reply. Do you believe that? Amen, we believe that and uh, sometimes we 're tested, right? Maybe you were tested this last week, and uh, sometimes you, i I read a story I, I think somebody posted it on Facebook or whatever. This pastor was his first Sunday. At his uh, brand new church. 10,000 member church. And the church hadn't met him yet. So he came dressed as a homeless man. and He came in and uh, nobody talked. In fact, of all 10,000 people, only three people talked to him that whole morning. And so he came in and he sat down at the front somewhere. And the uh, ushers came and said, uh, sir, you need to sit at the back. So he got up went and sat at the back. Service went on and everything else happened. And then eventually the elders got up, who knew that he had dressed as a homeless man. One of the elders got up to introduce the new pastor. So they introduced the new pastor. Everybody cheered and clapped because their new pastor just showed up. And up walked this guy dressed like a homeless man. And he began to quote to them from scripture. You know the scripture, if he did it unto the least of these, did it unto me. You know, we fed you, clothed you, gave you water. And uh, then he said to the congregation, he said, this gathering is not a church. That's a good way to start off your first day at a 10,000-member congregation. This is not a church because we're supposed to love one another. And only three people talked to me. And Maybe one of those was when they asked me to go to the back, I don't know. But love of a different kind even. People that aren't maybe like us. And sometimes it is hard sometimes. Sometimes it's stretching of our, you know, whatever. To love people of a different and another kind. Our society bases love on externals. Wealth, dress, looks, education, physical beauty. But unconditional love is the radical force of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul says, we do have one debt and one that you'll never finish paying off. And it's the debt to love everybody. That's the debt. We'll never finish paying off. If I'm a Christian, I'm obligated to love everybody. That's my first responsibility to you before I do anything else. And that's your your responsibility to me. And everybody else. Genuine love always recognizes obligation. We live in a society where people don't want to accept responsibility for anything. We blame everybody else. How many times have we heard? I have to do what's best for me. Genuine love recognizes we do have obligations to other people. We do have responsibilities to other people. And Paul shows that genuine love respects the rights of another person. So he lists the commandments that deal with personal property rights. He says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. If I love you, I'm not going to steal your car, even though it is a Ferrari, whatever it might be. I'm not going to steal your car. I'm not going to steal your wife. I'm not going to covet your house or your boat. I'm not going to assassinate your character, I'm going to respect your rights, that's real love. And Paul says that, and he he highlights the ones that deal with personal and property rights. I think a lot of times our world gets love and lust mixed up. A lot of songs are not love songs, they're lust songs. If a movie or book is about adultery, it's not about real love. Love won't commit adultery. Love is the fulfillment of the law. If you focus on love, you keep the whole law. And that simplifies life. Instead of trying to remember all the do's and don'ts, the rights and the wrongs, just love people. Just love them. Now, we've all blown it, right? We've all messed up in this regard. Times when we should have loved, we looked the other way, whatever. We've all done. But today's a new day. We're looking from today on. To make the rest of our life the best of our life. Why is Paul bringing this up when he's talking about how to make the most of your time? So first he says, make sure your finances are in order. And then he says, good time management principle. He says, love everybody if you want to make the most of your life. First Corinthians 13 says, and now I will show you the more excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm only a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flame, but have not love, I gain nothing. In verse 80 he says, love never fails. In verse 11 he says, but now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. If you and I love people, God considers us a success regardless of whatever else we accomplish in life. We'll just love people. God says that's success. On the other hand, I may do all kinds of exploits and achieve great things and reach goals, but if I fail to love people, it's worthless. If you want to make the rest of our lives the best of our life, love people. And we need to determine, if we haven't already, that whether this church grows or not, whether we reach our goals or not, we're going to love people. And that's what's going to count on the bottom line. That's all that really matters ultimately. I may have the best prepared sermon in the world, but if I don't love people, I'm a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. If I don't love people. Paul says pay up and then build up. And thirdly, he says, Romans 13, verse 11, wake up. Do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. How do you normally wake up in the morning? Have you noticed that God puts opposites together? Have you noticed that? One of you hits the ground running, loud, and maybe the other person says, I just need a coffee. And it's, it's great that God does that because it brings tremendous balance in a relationship. But Proverbs 27.14 says, those of you um, who have a spouse that's a bit rambunctious, it says, if a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it'll be taken as a curse. Now, I'm a loud guy in the morning. Or I tend to be. I tend to be loud lots of times. But anyway, I like to hit the ground running, singing, singing. And uh, when we're visiting the grandkids and we come and sit around their table and I start to sing, whatever, then the rule is no singing at the table. Okay, Okay, no singing at the table. I don't want to lead the grandkids astray. But I tend to be a little bit, how many morning loud people do we have here? Anybody? How many morning quiet people do we have here? Like, out of my face, just let me wake up. Oh, yeah, see? It's interesting how that works. And um, so, but Paul says, hey, wake up. In the Encyclopedia Britannica, the definition of sleep is this way. A state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. (laughs) Interesting. A state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place now I don't know but sometimes people walk in their sleep they talk in their sleep and you there's a lot of things going on in some people's sleep some people sleep and they dream in color how many of you dream in color how many dream in black and white some of us are still back in the 70's others dream in color it's it's amazing what happens when you're sleeping but there's this inactivity and so Paul says wake up Now, he's not talking about physical sleep, obviously. He's talking about spiritual laziness. He says, get going. Get in gear. Time is short. He says, make the most of every opportunity. If you want to make the rest of your life the best of your life, make the most of every opportunity. Don't be spiritually dull. There's nothing worse than a spiritually lethargic Christian. I mean, some churches, they start at, well, we start at ten thirty. So let's say some churches start their morning service at ten thirty sharp, and some stop at twelve dull. Get me? There's no life. There's no joy. There's no enthusiasm. They're asleep. Paul says, "Wake up! If you want to make your life count, look for opportunity. Become alert. Get with the program. Wake up. Get out of your spiritual lethargic state." And make the most of every opportunity. Now, let's be honest. We've blown in this one too, right? Sometimes we're just, get out of my face. Leave me alone. And I know there's times we need to regroup. I'm not against that. But generally speaking, Ephesians 5.11 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it's light that makes everything visible. That's why it said, Wake up a sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful in how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. A person who is fully spiritually awake and alert spiritually will make the most of every opportunity. Now, why should we wake up? Why become alert? Our world is rapidly changing. And to reach today's generation, we need to be awake. We need to be alert. I do appreciate the time that I get to talk with the younger generation. Because um, in some ways, sometimes my thinking tends to be back there. And it's interesting when you look at technology. Technology is changing so fast. The way things are done changes so fast. Mindsets are changing so fast. Values seem to be all over the map. And so we need to be alert. We need to understand the seasons and the times we're living in. Scripture says that we need to understand the times and seasons. We need to be alert. Our world is rapidly changing. There's another issue the time is short. It's getting closer and closer to the coming of Christ. The hour has come. It's a phrase Jesus and John the Baptist used very frequently. When they said the hour has come and now is. Time is short. Illustrations told of a little boy who lived in a home where there was a grandfather clock that broke. And one day as they were getting ready to leave for church, the clock just went crazy. And was, it struck about every, it struck about 20 times. And the little boy runs into the room and says, Mommy, Daddy, it's later than it's ever been before. And it's later than it's ever been before. It's closer to the time of Jesus coming than it was years ago when Paul wrote this. He's saying, wake up. I think, I haven't done any surveys to prove it, but I'm thinking that maybe procrastination is one of the biggest enemies of the Christian life. One of these days, I'm going to get serious with God. One of these days, I'll join a Bible study group, or one of these days, you name it. The fact is, none of us have any guarantee of tomorrow. The coming of the Lord is coming sooner and sooner, and none of us have the luxury of wasting time. None of us have the luxury of saying, someday, anything you're going to do for Christ, do it now. Don't put it off. Do it now in light that time is short. We ought to wake up. How then should we live in the light of the second coming? And Paul gives us some action steps on how to live in the light of the second coming. Pay up, build up, wake up. And fourthly, he says, gear up. He gives the analogy of an army. In verse 12, when he says, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul's saying, get prepared for battle. The tragedy is, sometimes we as Christians don't even know that we're in a war. We don't realize there's a war going on. We're unaware of the fact that the moment you became a Christian, you became the enemy of the devil. Did you know that? The moment you became a Christian, you became his enemy. That was it. Now, they are unaware of the fact that That not only are we as enemy, but it's very important for us to realize that we're in a spiritual battle, a struggle for our spiritual growth and for the lives and souls of everybody around us. The most used analogy in the New Testament for Christians is that of a soldier. More than anything else, Paul compares the Christian life to that of being a soldier. He says, now that you're awake, get up and get dressed. What does the well-dressed soldier of God wear? Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against spiritual things, rulers and authorities, and power of this dark world, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you're able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take the helm, take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. For all the saints, prayer is such a key thing. I want to encourage you in this whole year of prayer that we we uh, shifted our, our prayer time to Sunday morning at nine fifteen, right here in the sanctuary, prior to the service. We encourage you to come and join us for prayer. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray that the Spirit of God would have full um, operation in all of our lives, and and that we'd be receptive to everything and anything He wants to say to us and and direct us. How do you put on the armor? By getting into the into the scriptures on a daily basis, when you read, study, memorize, meditate on this book with a daily quiet time. I was reading an article in the newspaper the other day where they were talking about um, meditation as an important part of overcoming um, certain mental diseases and disorders, and and so they were, of course, they were talking about. You know, yoga and blah, 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 all those other things. But when we look at scripture, scripture has a lot to say about meditating on the word of God. And meditating is when you take a scripture, and it's like, have you ever been a farmer? I have never been a farmer, but I understand cows chew their cud. You know, they eat some grass, and it goes into one stomach, and they chew it in another stomach, and, you know, sounds gross. But that's what the word meditated, meaning you ruminate on the word of God. And you think about it, and you think about it, and you meditate on it, think about it, and think about it. And they say that meditation, can you believe this? Meditation, especially on the word of God, releases something in the brain that's good for you. I don't know the technical terms. I didn't write it all down from the article. But um, meditating on the word of God and allowing the word of God, and the scripture says about renewing our mind with the word of God, it has great strength and great purpose. So when you meditate on it and memorize it, I was reminded this last week as I was listening to another pastor on this mentoring call that I'm on, and he was reminding us all the importance of memorizing the word of God. So I thought, yeah, this is important. And so we need to do that. And so um, in this whole gearing up, preparing for battle, number five, he says, clean up. Maintain a pure lifestyle. Romans thirteen thirteen. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. So he gives us six things here, but they come in pairs. What does it mean to leave a, live a clean life? It's a life of self-control. No orgies or no getting drunk. He's talking about alcohol abuse, drug abuse. In Rome, they had eating orgies, similar to our church potlucks, you know. Not maybe quite the same, but just want to see if you're awake. <laughs> Don't live solely for your own pleasure. Some people think life is one big party. Don't live solely for good times. That's a waste of your life. A life of self control. It's also a life of moral purity. Stay away from sexual immorality and debauchery. It's all around us. You can turn on the television, read the newspaper, magazine, books, etc. We may not be involved in these things, but sometimes we'll watch it on TV for entertainment. Society has lost lost its ability to blush. Nothing shocks society anymore. What does it take to really get us to the point where we change channels or turn that off or walk out of a theater? Saying, I will not allow that in my mind. What is debauchery? Bragging about immorality. People have done the same things they've done all along, but it used to be they hid them. Now they write books about them or organize parades and march down the street to promote their lifestyle. Debauchery is to publicize wrongdoing. I'm not saying we don't love the people that are marching down the street. Of course, we just talked about loving everybody, and even those that are different from us. I'm just saying society has just really gone. You you check in the destruction of any of the major empires in the world. One of the things that destroyed the empire was immorality and Homosexuality and all those kind of things destroyed the Roman Empire. It's destroying our civilization today. We're to live a life of harmony and love. I find that interesting that he mentions orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, and then he says dissension and jealousy all in the same group. Those are respectable sins, more socially acceptable. God says they're the same as immorality. God considers the person who causes division and dissension in the church just as wrong as the person going to orgies and getting drunk. Oh, now, pastor, come on now. All six things are in the same verse. Damaging the unity of the church of Jesus Christ by passing on rumors or negative talk is a serious offense. It is so serious that Paul will bring it up two more times before the end of the book. We met anyone that gets their kicks causing fights. They enjoy the excitement of people being antagonistic toward each other. God places a high premium on unity within the church. And being a troublemaker is not just a poor use of time, it's sin. Where does dissension come from? Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride comes contention. Every time you see a fight, somebody's got an ego problem one way or the other. Somebody's ego has gotten in the way and they either won't admit a wrong or failure Or they're just being plain stubborn. Number six, Paul says we need to dress up. Verse 14, he says, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What does that have to do with putting on Christ? Get dressed with Jesus and don't think about wrong things. Learn to think like Jesus is what he's saying. Dress up, learn to think like Jesus. That's what it means to put on Christ. It means to think the thoughts of Jesus. Think the way he does. We read last time in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4.22 gives additional insight. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind. The way a person thinks determines the way they feel. And the way you feel determines the way you act. Rather than trying to change the externals, you know how we try to modify the behavior of our kids by changing the externals? Good luck with that. Change the way you think. Change your thought life. And that changes the way you feel, and that changes the way you act. People are working on the externals when they should be working on the internals We are made new in the attitude of our mind to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says in Romans 13, if you want to make the most of your time, learn to think like Jesus Christ. And he also says, do not think about how to gratify the desires. I remember being told by people when they say, what is the harm in fantasizing? Well, there's a lot of harm in some fantasizing. The Bible says, out of the abundance of a man's heart, what we put in comes out. And if I begin to think a certain way, inevitably it's going to affect my life. There's no such thing as a harmless fantasy. He says, "Do not think about how to glorify the desires of the sinful nature." And we all know what I mean when I'm talking about fantasizing, and all 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 kind of where that leads. I'm not talking about a person's imagination as a child, and you know where you imagine, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever. It's been so long since I was a child. I don't even know what I fantasize about as a kid. But you know how they have imagination and all those kinds of things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fantasizing in your mind that begins to create changes in your behavior. In James 1, it says, sin begins with a thought. That's when it's conceived. It brings forth death, the action. Whatever gets your attention gets you. I mean, let me use this illustration. When you're on a diet, do you open the refrigerator door and say, I'm just looking. I don't think so. Of course not. Whatever gets our attention Gets us. Jesus said lust in the heart comes out. And there's more than just sexual lust. There's lust for money. There's lust for power. Lust for prominence. Lust for fame. Galatians 5.16 says, Therefore walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The secret is to walk in the spirit. Notice it doesn't say walk in the spirit and you won't have those desires. It just says you won't fulfill them. Big difference. Many Christians feel they're not growing until they have the same old desires that are trying to overtake them. Friends, pinch yourself, you're human. There's some desires that are going to be there for the rest of your life. It's whether or not you're going to give in to them. Are we going to give in to those temptations of the enemy? It's what do you do with those desires? Do you hold on to them? Do you meditate on them? You can't prevent thoughts from going through your mind. Many of the thoughts the enemy puts there and he suggests an impression. But you can prevent from dwelling on them and meditating on them. Philippians 2.5 says, put on the mind of Christ. He's saying, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. The last two verses in Romans 13 are the two verses that caused the great theologian, St. Augustine, to become a Christian. Augustine was a great man of God, but in his early life, we would call him a swinger, a playboy. His confessions is like National Enquirer. He did all, told all, said all, every kind of desire he could imagine or think of, every whim he fulfilled. He lived a totally godless life. Eventually, he began to see the futility of that and went through a period of deep depression. One day, out walking through a garden, he was meditating and thinking, I've wasted my life. And he said that while he was thinking, he heard the voice of a child that said, Take and read, take and read. He got a Bible, and he opened it up to these two verses. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He opened his life, it said, and he went on to become one of the greatest Christian leaders that ever lived. The Phillips translation says this. Let us be Christ's men, obviously, and women and young people, from head to foot. I like that. Let God own all of my life. Everything. And so, here, here we, we see, as the Apostle Paul is, is letting us know how to live the rest of our life. Six very simple things. You could probably come up with more or less, but... Um, I just say, Lord, help us to redeem the time. Help us to make the most of every moment we have. I'm not saying you can't relax, can't, you know, kick your feet up, whatever. Uh, we all need times of relaxation, but I'm saying, let us be thinking clearly. The Lord's coming soon. The Lord's coming soon. What is he requiring of us to make the best of the rest of our life? Does that mean you can't have any fun? Of course it doesn't mean that. Make the best of the rest of our life. Being spiritually alert and awake. Managing our lifestyle. Living like Christ. And putting on the mind of Christ. And meditating on his word. And understanding we're in a battle. We're in a battle for our own soul in that sense and for the souls of men and women. And God wants us above all else to love. I want to encourage us today to a little time, personal time of evaluation between ourselves and the Lord. As none of us have any guarantee of even the next month, let alone the rest of the day. Whatever you're going to do for Christ, do it now. Let's wake up and realize time is brief. And maybe you'd join me in praying and just say, Lord, I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. Whether I've got five days, five weeks. I'm not sure if I'll have 50 years, but let's see. I'd be fairly old then we don't know how much time we have Lord help me to not get overextended so I'm consumed with the thought of paying bills sometimes we get so locked into debt that the Lord couldn't use us if he wanted to so many obligations and friends we've all been there we all know what that feels like the downturn, people lost jobs, but the bills kept coming. And the bills were larger than the income. And please, I am not trying to put some trip on people because of the economy and things. I'm not trying to put guilt on us or anything. Because those are difficult, difficult times and moments. And where we're relying on the Lord for the next thing. But maybe there's some other things God is just saying to us in our life. You know, maybe the one debt that I will always owe is the debt of love. Maybe rather than focusing there, okay, I have a debt of love. God, where do you want me to show love today? How can I love my family, myself? How can I love my neighbor, my coworkers, my fellow believers, those who don't know Christ? Lord, how can I love them? Help me not to procrastinate. Well, maybe tomorrow. And friends, I want to say this. I thank God for Northwest Family Church. I thank God for the people who call this their church. I thank God that they come here week after week to hear the word of God. And even sometimes when the preacher goes so long, especially Pastor Roger, I'm teasing I go way longer than he does. I want to commend you for your love for God and for your love for his word. And the message we share is to encourage us to just a little more for him, just a little more time maybe in his presence, just a little more alert to the things he wants us to do. Just include one more person in our love circle that we want to love and who's maybe a little different. To just, okay, Lord. I want you to help me today. Yesterday I didn't quite do so good, but today's a new day. And friends, today is the first day of the rest of your life. I just want to say I want to encourage you. I want to say, keep keeping on. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep loving. Keep worshiping him. Keep giving your life to him. Because Time is short. And one day we're going home. One day we're going home. Maybe you've got to need me. It was highlighted with some of the points this morning. And you're saying, Lord, help me in this area. Help me in this area. Help me to understand what you want me to do. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You have not said, Lord, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Will you please forgive me? Take away the guilt, the shame, the load, the burden. I need you, Jesus. I can't do this and call life without you. Maybe this morning you'd like to accept Jesus. Just give him your life. and Give him your sins. Say, Lord, here, I know you died for it. Please forgive me. The best decision you could ever make best decision if that's your desire this morning it just takes a simple prayer of repentance, Lord I'm sorry I have sinned, I've blown it I've messed up, I know been trying to be a good person but it's not cutting it help me, forgive me give me the strength, put your spirit in me I might live the rest of my life as the best of my life Father, I thank you for every person here. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're so faithful, you're so gentle, you're so patient, you're so kind. And your desire is for every one of us have the mind of Christ. And so you want to consistently reveal to us Jesus, expose us to, your, to the word and illuminate it, bring revelation to us and understanding to us giving us the strength to live each day as pleasing to our Lord. And when we don't do so well, I thank you for the long suffering of our Savior. And as we come, he forgives and strengthens us and sets us on the path again. So Lord, I thank you for every person, every family, every home represented. And I just say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his countenance on you, and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may God bless you, give you an awesome week, and may today be the first day of the rest of your exciting life in him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If anybody you want to talk, you want prayer, whatever, we're here. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Uh, don't forget the Christmas banquet de- details and love, Albany de- love Albania details and, and uh, coffee in the foyer, whatever, and shake somebody's hand and give them a great smile. God bless you.